Welcome to the Campus Christian Fellowship Podcast for the University of Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Northern Iowa. This week we are going to be continuing our look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and the place where Paul uh, talks about the resurrection and the impact that that has on things. Uh, our series has been focusing on the entirety of the book of 1 Corinthians and we're almost wrapping it up now. Uh, next week is going to be our last week in 1 Corinthians. Um, but I think Paul has been building towards, the entire letter has been building towards this take on the resurrection and the importance of it. And that's why we're spending two weeks in 1 Corinthians 15 is because uh, that's how important the resurrection is. Um, so last time we talked a lot about what the resurrection means, that without it, everything's kind of in vain, that for Paul, it's like the center of his theology. It's the most important thing. Without the resurrection, everything's meaningless, but because of the resurrection, um, Christianity has so much meaning, and he kind of talked about why, the, how there's witnesses to the resurrection and, and, and why he believes it's true and why he believes it's something we can put our trust in. This week, we're going to cover a little bit more about kind of what the resurrection means for us, what it means to be um, living in light of that and what we should be doing in light of that. And, and so we're uh, taking a lot shorter of a section of verses, uh, looking at just seven verse, eight verses from 1 Corinthians 15, the last eight verses, verses 51 through 58, uh, and just kind of what Paul does and, and bring forth the importance of the resurrection for the, the church in Corinth. So like I've been saying, the main point that Paul's trying to make while dealing with all the mess and, and all the, the issues that are present in the Corinthian church is he's taking that, that story, that gospel lens, and applying it to all their different problems and things like that. And this is why this is kind of the concluding point that this is the most important aspect of the gospel for Paul, the resurrection. And in light of the resurrection, all of those problems, all those issues, they kind of have an answer. And the main answer is kind of, they're not that important. Yeah, there's important aspects to them that sexual immorality is, is bad and and it, neglecting the poor is, is bad. And those are all problems that the Corinthians have. But when we really think about the resurrection and what that means, how that transforms our lives, how that changes everything, then we're able to put aside a lot of those issues and, and look past them. And, and instead of living for ourselves, we're able to live for others. That's, that's a big part of the problem uh, that's in the Corinthian church is you've got a group of people that seem to be focused on living for themselves. That's why they have these problems where they say, well, I want to do whatever I choose to do with my own body. And so that's where you have those issues of sexual immorality or I'd rather feed myself than care about making sure others are fed. And so that's why you have them neglecting the poor and their problems with the communion table and that some are eating and getting drunk while the rest are starving, the poor are starving, being overlooked. A lot of these issues that the Corinthians are facing, having, is just issues of putting yourself above others. And what Paul's trying to remind them is in the light of the resurrection, that Christ laid down his life for others, for one. But he also came back to life again and had life complete and defeated death. And 
we don't have to think about ourselves because death isn't the end. It's not about what we can live now, but it's about what we can do for others because there's so much more awaiting us after. We have hope. We have meaning. We have purpose. And a lot of that is fulfilled and, and used by living for others instead of living for ourselves. So, so let's dig into that text. Let's hear the words that Paul has to do. I'm going to read probably this text through a couple times. Um, but just because of the, the beauty of the language of what Paul's constructing, and just the hope that is present here. So let me read 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So Paul starts off this with saying, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Uh, and I think that's somewhat telling. Uh, it's hard to explain the, the resurrection, that how Jesus was able to come back to life again, what it, what it means, and what the resurrection means for, for us, what it means to have life after death, because we haven't really experienced death. I've never been dead. I don't know what it means to have life after that. I, I do in a biblical sense, but not in an experiential one. I haven't gone through that experience. Paul hasn't either. He's sharing a, a mystery here, but a mystery that he has confidence in, that, that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There's some debate there about what the all is referring to. Obviously, this letter is written to the church in Corinth. It's also meant to be circulated to other churches. Who does the all refer to? Is it just Paul's readers? Or is Paul having that view of all churches, all times, all people? And a lot of times when we talk about this, I would say that Paul's probably mostly thinking of his audience of the readers of this letter. But here, I, I think Paul's thinking about all, all. Uh, the reason I say that is because 2 Corinthians, when he starts to talk about Jesus coming back, the second coming of Christ, and, and the end of the world kind of stuff, he seems to have the sense of it's going to happen after his own death. It's going to happen later on. This is something that's that's going to be occurring in the in the nebulous future. And now you could read First Corinthians here like he's talking to an audience now that says, hey, I think Christ is going to come back soon. And so people that are around and reading this, you won't even all have passed before this happens. Um, but then in Second Corinthians, he seems to have that longer view that it this is kind of a a reality that's going to happen much later in the future. Um, 
but again, I, I think Paul here is having a universal view of his audience, of all, that can refer to all of us as well. And so I think 1 Corinthians here has the same view of end times that 2 Corinthians has, that Paul knows it's something that will be happening in the future and potentially much later in the future. And so when he says all here, I think he's talking to us too, that there's a time coming when Christ does return, when that last trumpet is sound, that some may have already passed and we'll get to experience what that feels like, um, what that's like after having died. But there's going to be some who are still going to be alive here on earth that's going to experience what that means to to be raised imperishable. But again, it's it's a mystery. I I don't know if I could explain it even if I had the time to explain it. Let's push on to some other things that Paul's saying. The perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality and shall come to the pass. The saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. So there's a lot of perishable, imperishable, mortality, immortality, and a lot of synonyms going on here. And, and it seems like Paul's taking this really long time to explain this relatively simple concept, that which is is natural will become that which is spiritual that there are things that last and there are things that don't last and we're gonna our human bodies are going to turn from something that doesn't last to something that can last i think paul's taking so much time to explain this not just because it's a difficult concept but he's actually using some literary devices here He's trying to construct something that, that gives equal weight before and after this middle statement of the death is swallowed up in victory. Um, I think Paul's trying to construct a, a chiasm. And so he's got to fill out this first portion in order to make sure the latter portion of the chiasm is filled out right and make it all line up. And so there's a literary reason why he's using these synonyms and, and seemingly taking a long time describing what... Maybe he could have just said in one sentence because he wants to point to this middle section that is so cool and is actually quoting Isaiah um, and, and is really poetic. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That's one of those sentences that, that to me, it always kind of gives me chills thinking about. This is what it means to be in Christ, that we have no fear of death, that death has no victory, that death has no sting. And that's a really cool, beautiful phrasing there. And I love that that's what Paul put at the heart of what he's trying to say. And then he goes on to remind us, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that a victory over death is also a victory over sin. That's the point of Christ going on the cross to give us that victory over both sin and death. That we have grace in Christ and we have life in Christ. And so we have hope because of the resurrection. When I talked last time, I talked a little bit about the atonement, about what Christ's death on the cross meant, and that there's a lot of different explanations for that and theories, and that uh, 
I think there's a lot of really good theories and explanations out there, and each one kind of has its own set time and purpose to be used to, to help us to better understand all that Christ did on the cross. But one of my favorites, and one that I think Paul is really emphasizing here, is that of the Christus Victor, um, which is Latin for Christ is the victor. <laughs> Pretty easy to translate. It's a reminder that one of the most significant things that happens when Christ dies on the cross and hits, and, and because, especially because of his subsequent resurrection, is that he is victor over death. That Christ achieves victory. He defeats death. He is Lord over all, even life and death. And because of that, he gives us victory over death. He invites us into that eternal life to spend it with him. And then wrapping up, there's really cool things that Paul does here that I think would be really impactful to this Corinthian church that's reading this. And the first of it is just within verse 57 there when he says, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, our Lord our Lord. It's a reminder that the Corinthian church is a part of this too, even though he's proceeded through most of his letter to take them to task for the, for the problems that they have, for the ways that they've thought of themselves over others, for the ways that they've been so selfish and had so many problems within their churches that he says, get this right you guys are missing out on the gospel. You're not living the way that you're supposed to be. You're forgetting all of these things. At the end of it, he still reminds them that it is our Lord Jesus Christ. And that phrase there, the our Lord, he actually hasn't used it since the beginning of the letter when he first addressed the Corinthian church. But he uses it again at the end as a reminder that they are united together with Paul under Christ. He is our Lord Jesus Christ. And then continues on, therefore, my beloved brothers, again, reemphasizing, we're together in this. We're part of the family. You are loved. You're my beloved brothers. He encourages them to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Coming back around from the first, what he said in the first part of chapter 15, that because the resurrection is true, the things that we do for God are not in vain. If the resurrection were not true, then this would all be in vain. But it is true. And so the things that we do, the, we should be abounding in the work of the Lord for that labor is not in vain. This is a challenge that Paul puts out for the Corinthian church, for all of us. To be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing then, the Lord, your labor is not in vain. The language here is that of people who are confident, who know of the hope that they have, who know that their faith can help them to carry out the work of the Lord. And that's what my encouragement, my challenge is for you, listener. To be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I've got the privilege of speaking on a college campus. 
to college students who are training, are preparing, are getting ready to, for their careers, for their lives, for what is going to be happening next. And for some students, that can mean a really radical change from when they first came onto the college campus, where they thought they were preparing for the career, and then God gets a hold of them, and they find out that what they're really preparing for during this time is to minister to God. That's what happened to me as a college student. I went to school to become a math teacher. God got a hold of me and said, nah, you need to be doing ministry. This is what you're preparing for. And my campus ministry that I was a part of prepared me for that. And they got me ready to do, to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, my labor is not in vain. Some of the students that go through our ministry, that's going to happen to them too. And I want to be cheering them and encouraging them and challenging them. But most of our students... The plans that they made before they came to college were good ones, were God-ordained ones, were, were ones where, where God was setting them up to put them in a place where they can be his light in their workplaces, in their families, in their communities, wherever he sends them next. They are supposed to be doing the work of the Lord. Well, also, that career that they've been studying for in school. And so my encouragement for you is to be knowing that whatever it is that you end up doing, if you become a teacher, if you become an architect, an engineer, a farmer, whatever your career ends up being, the work of the Lord is not in vain. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's what we're all called to do. That's what Paul is challenging here, the Corinthian church, and he's challenging, I think, us too. That should be at the forefront of the things that we do. And I think a role of my ministry is to prepare students under my care to become leaders in the church. Not just people who sit in the pew on Sunday, but people who lead, people who do, people who are workers for the kingdom. And so I want to encourage you, if you're someone that's listening, to Know that you're called to be steadfast, to be immovable, and to be one who steps up. Who takes on, who is pushed out, and does more for the kingdom than they thought they could. Because there's one thing that's really cool that happens with God, and that's he sends his Holy Spirit to aid us, to help us, to, to enable us to accomplish more than we thought we could. And so I want to encourage you to do what God has called you to do. To be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.
take courage, take heart, and take up this challenge to be the people that God has called you to be, to be all in for him. And he will use you wherever you've been placed, whatever job you have, whatever career you find yourself in, your family life, wherever it is God has worked for you to do. Go and do. Hey, thanks for checking us out and spending some time with us this week. Quick reminder, if you're a student at Iowa State, University of Northern Iowa, or University of Iowa, we would love to connect you with a campus minister. So reach out to ccf.uiowa at gmail.com, and we will make sure we get you connected. Be sure to specify your school in an email. Additionally, if you have questions about anything you've heard today or anything that's on your mind, we would love a chance to answer that here anonymously. So you can also just drop a line there. Again, that is ccf.uiowa at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week, and please know that we are praying for you.